Right. Uh, we're reading from Galatians tonight. Galatians 2, 11 to 14, Paul opposes Cephas. When Cephas came to Antioch and opposed him to his face because he stood condemned, for before certain men came from James, he used to eat with Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that he was not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? going to move this somewhere safe because I, I fear I'm going to knock it off otherwise. Well, that's really brilliant. Oh, that's better. So the thing is, I've not been all that much into knitting or, or weaving, although my mother did have a loom, but I have done a bit of sewing in my time. And I can generally figure out which end of the sewing machine does what, for the most part, but it wasn't always the case. If I go back to uh, intermediate school and a uh, sewing class there, and we were supposed to be making uh, a gonk. Uh, a gonk is kind of like a humpy dumpty kind of soft toy thing, sort of egg-shaped body with arms and legs. Well, Somehow, in the process of sewing my gonk, he ended up being not quite egg-shaped, and somehow I managed to sew his arms and legs inside the body. <laughs> so I improvised and decided I was making a potato, and I called him Murphy. And now later, I thought, I can't go too far wrong if I do hand sewing. So I was sitting there and I was sort of sewing away on, on what I was doing and I figured, yeah, I got this. And, and I finished my sewing and I am correcting something too. I finished my sewing and I thought, right, this, this looks good. Until I tried to pick it up. That's when I discovered that I had sewn my thing uh, to my trousers. So, as of that point, my work had become a part of me. <laughs> Have you ever had that situation? Where you, well, maybe not that exact situation. <laughs> something similar, maybe, where you throw yourself into something so thoroughly that you kind of lose yourself. And you can't tell where you end and the thing that you're involving yourself in begins. Or where perhaps you felt that you've had to adjust your outward self to accommodate the expectations of others, even though it meant diverging radically from who you really were. Or where maybe it was a workplace. Check that this is connected properly. It sounds like it's not quite.
All good? Can you, can you, can you hear me now? Wonderful. Or maybe it's a, a, a workplace where, where corporate culture has, um, corporate culture is completely different to your own personal ethics. But you're required to conform to it anyway. And besides, you have bills to pay. You see, there's a sense in which we become stitched to fabric that is not Yeah. Okay, there we go. There's a sense in which we become stitched to fabric that is not our own. And in a sense, we lose sense of what our own fabric pattern looks like. Let's just quickly pray to open. Father, thank you for, uh, for, for being here tonight. Thank you that we can be here tonight. And Lord, you are the master tailor. You know the design. You know how the pattern is cut. And you cut from that pattern and you sew something that is a masterpiece in each one of us. Uh, please be with us here tonight. Help us to listen. Help me to speak your word tonight. Amen. So you can't live life among other people without coming up against the expectations of others. Now, if you were able to catch the Easter service last week, you recall that I mentioned how we sometimes create expectations of others that are based more on our own desires and expectations rather than on who they are and the path that they're meant to walk. Well, it works the other way as well. You see, we all start with our own unique fabric. And we come into this world uniquely primed to live a life exactly like no other who has ever lived. Every infant has their own personality, even those that are identical twins. In our initial years, this is built upon by our parents, our upbringing, and our experiences. And then we come to reach our teenage years. And by that stage, we're really asking the big question about who we are, what we stand for. You know, what causes can I get involved with, and how does that set me apart from others? But it's also the time when we most want to be accepted by our peers, and the pressure to conform is also at its greatest. So throughout that process, there will always be others who will want to co-opt your vision and reshape you into someone that they feel you should be to apply their own pattern to your fabric. So if you want to walk the path that you were created for, to be the person you were made to be, be prepared to disappoint some people. But don't worry, because you're in good company. You see, when it comes to people-pleasing, Jesus was, unfortunately, regarded as a bit of a disappointment by many. I mean, he left his family of origin and the expectation of continuing in the family carpentry business, instead deciding to become a, a traveling itinerant teacher. He was a disappointment to the people he grew up with in, in Nazareth. He comes back to visit and he declares who he really is, the Messiah, and his homeboy's response is to try and push him over a cliff. He disappointed his 12 closest because they had their own ideas of, of who he should be and what kind of messiah he should become. In fact, one was so disillusioned that he actually sells him out. 
And he was definitely a disappointment to the religious leaders of the time. At best, they considered him to be a disruptive influence. At worst, a dangerous heretic who had to be silenced. See, Jesus did not live as though the opinions of others were the most important thing, but neither did he live as though nobody else mattered. He lived a life characterized by love and compassion, but he did so from a place of healthy, well-defined sense of his true self and his true calling. That brings us to the question of integrity. Now, in engineering terms, integrity refers to how intact and undamaged something is. In, in a ship, for example, uh, the hull of the ship is said to have integrity when it's in good shape, when it has no leaks or it has no holes or cracks. And this is important because while the ship is supposed to be in the sea, it's not so good when it's the other way around. In the sea of expectations that we find ourselves surrounded by, if that gets into the ship of our personal identity, it doesn't go so well. Integrity can be defined as remaining true to who you are in spite of expectations of others that may be contrary to this. Who I present myself to others is the same as who I really am on the inside. And if we're going to have a consistency of being between our, our inner self and our outer, outer public self, it kind of helps to know who we actually are. And, and knowing who you are is the process because, well, really, that will change over the course of your life anyway, hopefully for the better. And there is considerable pressure to live a life that is not our own, to take on fabric that is not our own pattern. Just generational, cultural, societal, social, even spiritual forces that are at work constantly nudging us into a mold of some sort. Society generally values conformity. And school especially so. Why else do you think they force you to dress the same? And, and even if some of society's patterns are good, it doesn't mean they're going to be you, always. Pete Scazzaro, in the study guide, makes reference to this concept of differentiation. Now, in, in biology, differentiation is this process involving cells in a developing embryo. You see, they, they start off as stem cells, which, which have this ability, this potential to become anything. And then as they divide and they migrate, they, they change into what we call differentiated cells. And these have become specialized. They've become a specific type of, of tissue, be that lung or heart or brain or nerve or whatever. It means that they have, they have locked in what they want to be. And there's a different concept of this too. The concept of differentiation that we're looking at tonight, it was developed by uh, a Murray Bowen of Modern Family Systems Theory Foundation, because try saying that three times fast. And he identifies it as a person's capacity to define his or her own life goals and values apart from the pressures of those around them. And this concept of differentiation involves the ability to hold on to who you are and what you are not. 
Now, Pete Scazzaro, in his, yes, his adaptation of Bowen's scale uh, in the workbook, and I definitely recommend, if you can, uh, get a good look at that workbook, because he goes into a lot more detail than that um, than I'm able to tonight. But in essence, Scazzaro presents a, a line with a scale of 1 to 100. And at the lower end of that scale are people with very low uh, value of differentiation. Uh, in his words, uh, they have little sense of the unique God-given life. They need continual affirmation and validation from others because they don't have a clear sense of who they are. They depend on what others think and feel in order to have a sense of their own worth and identity. Or, out of a fear of getting too close to someone and thus being swallowed up, they may avoid closeness to others altogether. Under stress, they have little ability to distinguish between their feelings and their thought processes. Now, he doesn't give uh, a similar definition for those at the other end of the scale, uh, those who uh, rate highly on the differentiation scale, but we can fairly safely bet it's something the opposite to that. Or Jesus. Because let's face it, the answer is always Jesus. And in fact, that is the example that Pete Schizero gives us in the, uh, in the workbook. And now to illustrate uh, how lower differentiation can, can play out, I'm going to tell you a little story. Once upon a time, there was a, a young man in his late teens. Okay, it was me. Uh, in my university years, I became interested in a, a young woman that I knew. Okay, probably more obsessively interested. See, I really liked this girl. She, on the other hand, uh, was not so sold on me. Oh, we, we had some things in common, and we became friends quite readily, but that was it as far as she was concerned. So I thought, maybe not consciously, because really, who actually thinks like this? Um, I thought that if I became more like her, or more like what I thought she would like, then maybe she'd see me as someone that she'd want to be involved with. And so, for a time, I almost became someone else. I, I stopped doing some things that I enjoyed. I, I took up other activities that I wouldn't normally have done if it meant we could be together. I even joined the ultra-evangelical Christian, Christian Union group at university, which really was not my scene. Those people were scary. <laughs> and for a while, I almost believed it. She, of course, didn't. <laughs> and eventually, I finally got the message, and I started to let go and unpick all those extra bits that I had progressively stitched to myself. Metaphorically, there wasn't any actual stitching going on. That's a whole different level of obsession. <laughs> and the thing is, if I thought about it, which obviously I didn't at the time, um, it was a pointless exercise. Because even if she'd been interested in me, it wouldn't have been me that she liked. It was only the me that I was pretending to be, not the me that I truly was. And then we look at the account in, in Galatians 2 that we just had read before uh, with Paul and the Gentile believers. 
So there's this situation that happened back when the church was still very young. Uh, the whole church was this whole new thing, and everybody was still kind of figuring out what the final details of how that would look. And what had started out as a, as a group of Jewish believers had now grown into a more culturally diverse group, with many coming from non-Jewish backgrounds. And with that, of course, comes conflicts of expectation. Now, one such group uh, was this community of converts in a place called Antioch. And so Peter, one of the original 12, he, he'd gone recently traveled uh, to Antioch, and he spent some time with the, the local Greek believers there. And it was going well, until a group of others arrived. Now, these were Jewish Christians with a rather hard-line approach. You see, their expectation was that since this new faith practice had sort of come out of a Jewish culture, when Jesus and the Twelve were Jewish, um, then anybody who wanted in had to submit to existing regulations of Jewish practice, including a certain amount of pruning uh, that was required of the men. A little uh, extreme manscaping, shall we say. And this group was rather vocal in their insistence. And out of fear of this, Peter started to withdraw his contact, his, his involvement with the Greek believers. And of course, Paul writes about this in his letter to the Galatians. And he points out that he went on to, to confront Peter about this and, and this double standard. And he pointed out that, hey, look, this, this new faith is not about the law. And, uh, and in fact, it's, it's based on faith in Christ alone. And Peter, you're kind of being a jerk, okay? You see, Peter had previously been associating with the Gentile believers, so he clearly had no problem with them himself. But he had taken on board the prejudices of others and changed to do a different way of acting when he was around them. You see, when we act out of a low differentiation, we, we may not feel that our own fabric is not enough. And so we try and take on qualities that are not our own. We, we try to become someone that we aren't to, to impress someone or to otherwise placate others. It's like we're living two lives. Our outer and inner worlds are not aligned. So we're acting out of concert with ourselves. And, and this creates a, a mental conflict within us that we know of as cognitive dissonance. And this is unsettling. And it's only so long we can live like this before something gives. It always finds a way out. Now, I should state here that Differentiation is not the same as disconnection. I'm not suggesting that we live the life of a rebel who spends their life completely outside of society. I'm not saying give the finger to authority, buy a motorcycle and cruise the highway with born to be wild swimming in your ears. <laughs> Unless that's your calling, of course. Because living in accordance with your true self it's not some super individualistic thing where we live as if no one else mattered. Because as I mentioned before, Jesus lived a life of love and compassion, intimately connected with those around him. It's just that he didn't let them dictate who he became. Real life is lived 
with other legal people. Because there's, there's this fallacy that seems to have crept into our society, and, and particularly so uh, in the ever-increasingly ever polarized online world. There's this fallacy that it's impossible to like someone and yet not agree with them. There's a sense that if you profess love for somebody, then you must fully and completely agree with everything that they say and do. Uh, and if for some reason you disagree with someone, then automatically you hate them. Somewhere we have lost that, that subtle art of living in harmony with people that we disagree with. Schizero puts it this way, I may not agree with you or you with me, Yes, I can remain in relationship with you. I don't have to detach from you, reject you, avoid you, or criticize you to validate myself. I can be myself apart from you. Which brings us to the ladder of integrity. Yes, uh, for those of you on the podcast, there is Batman being attacked by a shark while climbing a ladder. Because, why not? Now, I know the term sounds like some sort of buzzword you get from some pretentious business success seminar, but please, work with me here. The ladder of integrity is, is a tool that you can use when, when something is bothering you, uh, but you can't quite get a handle on what it is. Uh, because if you're frustrated, angry, or hurt, sometimes that can be a clue that something important to you, something about your true self, has been messed with in some way. And the latter is it's intended to clarify your values by processing your thoughts and feelings. Uh, because as we learned in a previous week, unprocessed emotions don't die. Instead, they hang around like that barn full of zombies in The Walking Dead, just waiting to be let out. But let's sell this thing a bit. What does the ladder of integrity do? Okay, one, it helps you to get honest and clear about what is going on inside of you. Two, it helps you uncover and clarify your values so that you can assert yourself with the other person if that's appropriate. And three, it's, it's important because we are each created with distinct preferences, hopes, dreams, and values. Climbing the ladder may sometimes involve moral issues, or right or wrong, but much of the time it will be simply grey areas or personal preferences. So, now, you should get a chance during this week to, to work through um, a group activity as part of your, your group, if you're part of a group this week. If not, be part of a group so you can do it. Um, because there'll be handouts with the details, so hopefully you won't need to copy all this down. Um, but remember, we're climbing a ladder, so we're working from the bottom upward. Now, please also note, uh, this is not a conflict resolution tool. Although some of the steps appear to be addressing another person, uh, it's really for just getting clear within yourself, uh, so you can identify your own values, and then if appropriate, then you can respectfully approach the other person, if that seems to be the, the best case of action. Now, there's a progression that we go through. Uh, you start off with our thoughts and feelings, which is the raw material that we start with. There we go. And then the next layer of the ladder goes on to our values, where we ask, we have to add this overlay of values onto that initial 
thoughts and feelings material. And then the last part of it goes into our hopes. Because it's nice to end on a positive. And it's also helpful that there is a stated desire to move forward beyond the immediate issue rather than just staying in that one space. Otherwise, it would be less of a ladder and more of a hamster wheel. The, the hamster wheel of discontent. The treadmill of grievance. Anyway, so let's start with the feelings and emotions part. So you work your way up and you answer these questions for yourself as you go through it. So I'll just read them out for the sake of those who aren't watching video or physically here. So you start with right now my issue, the issue on my mind is, and you start with one issue at a time. You don't try and do a whole lot in one go, just pick one issue. Then you move on to I'm anxious and talking about this because my part in this is, which is always helpful to recognize our own part, my need in this issue is, my feelings about this are, and then the last part is, what my reaction tells me about me is, and you fill in the, the blank there. And then we move from the feelings and we add that extra, the extra layer and we move on to values. And so we start with, this issue is important me, with me because I value this and I violate that value when. Then we move on to, I am willing or not willing to, dot, dot, dot. One thing I could do to improve the situation is, and then the, te the most important thing I want you to know is, so we sort of distill it down to that one point to pass on if we need to. And then finally, there's the last two rungs that move on to hope. Um, number 11 is, I think my honest sharing will benefit our relationship by, and I hope and look forward to, dot, dot, dot. Now, it should be mentioned again that this is a tool to help understand each other, not a blunt instrument to bludgeon someone into your way of thinking. That's not how integrity works. So if by question 11, your phrase ends up being, I think my, I think my honest sharing will benefit our relationship by convincing you just how wrong you are, <laughs> then you're probably doing it wrong. Integrity is about staying true to yourself and allowing others to stay true to themselves, even when those two selves don't necessarily match up. So just to conclude, I've got a couple of little points to leave you with. Uh, as I said, in order to be true to who you are, you need to know who you are. And it really helps also if you kind of like who you are. So one, take some time to get to know who you are as an individual. But two, I would say, figure out what you really like and what your dreams are. Three, give yourself some time to get to really like you. It's okay to have things that you want to change. I mean, we all do. But there's not a reason not to like you now while still aiming for who you can be. And also, let who you are define who you spend your time with, not the other way around. And look, if you think you need some help with any of these points, or any of the things that we've talked about tonight, why not talk to someone tonight? Um, we will actually have prayer available 
just after this. Um, I'll be over there along with others, so if you want to talk about some of this stuff and get some prayer on some of these things, please do so. We'll be happy to help. Let me just quickly pray us out to finish up. Father, you gave us each our own set of qualities and characteristics, our own intrinsic fabric. We don't need to take on the patterns that are not our own. You say that we are enough. Show us how to best live the lives you made us to live, to love and care for others, even when our fabrics are different. <laughs>